Lord, um, as we open up the scriptures um, to walk through um, this text, um, I pray that we would um, be connected to you, um, that these will not just be mere words, but the power of the word of God may find its way into our lives on an extremely practical level, Lord God. Um, help us um, as we hear weighty truths that um, heavy stuff, Lord God, we don't want the heaviness to, to skew us, Lord God, from seeing with split point accuracy and clarity so that our lives may be freed up more and more and more to represent your reign. Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, living God, my strength and our redeemer in whom I trust. Lord God, may I in decrease that you may increase. May I decrease that you may increase. Increase today, Jesus. Get the glory you deserve. Help us to be hearers of the word, not merely doers. Help us to catch it. Help a soul that doesn't know you um, to hear the gospel and respond to the call of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. How are we looking on seats? We looking all right? We got overflow set up just in case. And so um, if you got a seat beside you, if you could lift your hand up real quick just so we'll know some more people coming in. So we need to just know um, how we're doing on seats. Um, so we, we see everybody got their hands up. So if you can keep them up until somebody sit beside you or until I get going and nobody's coming. So, yep. Okay, we're good. Let's dive in. Well, we've been going through First Peter. I'm a book that has been a fascination to me for years. Um, I've returned to it. I, I mean, if I had one of those signs like McDonald's, you know, McDonald's got one of them signs outside that lets you know how many people they served a hamburger to, you know, over one billion served, you know what I'm saying? If, if I could have a sign um, on, on, on my forehead that articulates the amount of times that these passages in First Peter have served me, um, I think my head would be weighed down with the amount of numbers. Um, because um, First Peter has been a great place of comfort to me and my, my wife and I. Um, we spent many a time walking through aspects of First Peter, walking through First Peter, returning to it. And so um, the apostle, um, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the apostle Peter has been of great value to me. I wanted us to go slow through this. I didn't want us to kind of rush. Um, I know when we were going through John, we were preaching like 30 verses at a time and stuff like that. And so what, what I wanted to do is I wanted to chop this up a little bit more for us to kind of slow down. Not that we'll extract everything that is to be extracted from the verse because they are just as inexhaustible as God is. But um, I, I want us to take this time slow. I, I want to talk about today the big picture. The big picture. Um, one, of the, one of the most difficult things, to um, one, of the, one of the biggest things to teach my son is a sense of time. Like, my son will say, like, something we did yesterday, he'll say, Daddy, remember last year we did so-and-so and such-and-such? And I'll be like, son, no, nah, that was yesterday. He said, oh, yesterday. 
And so I'm always working through teaching him, you know, <laughs> the difference between yesterday, last week, last month, um, last year. And so it's interesting. I mean, he can learn. My, my, my son has a real brilliant mind. I mean, an amazingly brilliant mind. But one of the things that's been a challenge for him to grasp is a, is a sense of time. Um, but I've been interested to just, as we walk through the, the shorter forms of the catechisms, me and my son, and we're just going through them and how he's, the Lord is gracing him to get little pictures of eternity. But the next step I'm trying to take him on is to be able to, to understand in some finite form the principle of eternity, but not just understanding it as this faraway concept um, that, that's going to happen because eternity is actually happening now. See, most people think of eternity as futuristic because we're temporal. Um, we, we can say the eternal state, in, from a temporal point of view, is future. But eternity is actually happening now. And one of the things that you're going to see in this passage today is something that I think that Christians, especially in America, need to begin to be very, 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 very careful about making sure that we're pointed towards is God's big picture. It's very easy to be temporal and short-term in your solutions. It's very, because when, when, when pain is going on, when, when struggles are going on, many times we say, well, we want, we, we want what we want and we want it now. Um, but my prayer is, is that during this time period that people will begin to live for more than themselves based on the motivation of a big picture. Your life has to be marked by a big picture in order to understand the little pictures. And so I'm hoping, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really hoping that the big picture of eternity would, uh, would be worth more than just a thousand words to us. But, but, but it, it would be worth an eternity of words, an eternity of thoughts. And so Peter, as he is walking through his salutation and post his salutation, basically wishes that he has for his people, for God's people. And Peter, we, we left off last time when we were talking about, well, we, let's go to the week before last. We were talking about what it means to be an elect exile. In other words, your life is going to be marked by being strange. Your life is going to be marked by things not being normal regularly. Normal for you as a believer in Jesus Christ is going to be normal for everybody else. In other words, everybody else's normal is not going to equal your normal. And you need to be able to be comfortable with that and get used to that and understand that that is a biblical standpoint of life that is consistently going to mark you. But then last time we talked about one of the most abnormal things that believers are supposed to do is expect for trials to happen to them. Difficulty to happen to them and point to the, the, to the refining realities of God sovereignly allowing storms to be hurled and even hurling himself storms at your life that keep you on your P's and Q's. And so we talked about that the, that the smelter, the one who makes us as pure gold, is never satisfied with the temperature of our lives until he sees his face in our lives. And then we, we actually, I didn't finish up the, the last part of that verse. Um, it was about an hour and five minutes at that point, so I said, let me just stop. But, but we didn't finish up the latter part of this verse. Look at verse Look at verse 7, and that brings me to my first point today. 
If you're going to have God's big picture, you got to begin with the end in mind. Let me say that again. You have to begin with the end in mind. I'm going to explain that. Look at verse 7. We're going to focus on the B part, though. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found. Now, we stop there. And we talked about the refinement of your faith that God, based on Romans chapter 12, verse 3, gives every believer a measure of faith. So us asking God for faith is a bad question. In other words, we need to be asking God to help us to have our faith refined and for us to utilize our faith. When the disciples asked Jesus, he said, they said, increase our faith, Lord. And he didn't tell them how their faith got increased. He just told them what to do with the faith that had already been given to him. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. In other words, he wasn't necessarily saying they didn't have faith. He was just saying, this is how much faith it takes because faith in and of itself is not powerful. It's the one who the faith connects to to cause the powerful thing to take place. I wish you caught that. Because I don't want you to begin having faith in your faith. Don't step out on faith, family. I'm going to keep telling y'all that. Stop saying that. You don't step out on faith because if you step out on faith, you're stepping out on yourself. But when you're stepping out on God by faith, then the object of your faith is the one who you're pointing your faith towards and stepping out on. Did you get that? And And so when we get here in this text, we see that God doesn't refine himself. In other words, God doesn't clean himself up to be a better place for us to put our faith in. He doesn't do that. But what he does, he doesn't change himself, he changes us. So that through the refinement of our faith, we can recognize how huge and massive he is, how off the me- how off the Richter, how unweighable his attributes are, so that we can have more hope to put our faith in him. That's key. I hope y'all catching these nuances. It's very important for you to catch them. And so what he does at the end is he gives the result, the, the ultimate result of your faith being refined, your faith being under fire, your faith being tested, your faith being challenged, your faith being worked on, your faith being heated up. He gives a clear purpose that's a part of the big picture. And if you don't understand the big picture, you are going to consistently be frustrated. Because remember, the people here in Asia Minor are going through a bunch of trials. They're going through difficulty. And so Peter has to consistently point them beyond where they are. And as he points them beyond where they are, he says, listen, in in the B part of the verse, it says, the purpose of the refinement or the testing of your faith, that it may be found to result, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, God wants our faith to endure until Jesus Christ returns. Now, in other words, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to take your faith out in some way, shape, or form, and he's going to utter praises 
according to the level of faith that you submitted to be refined and he is going to big you up before all the eternal hosts. He's going he's to let everybody know that you were willing to main, remain consistent in the midst of adversity. In other words, so he said, the result of your faith will bring praise to God, glory to God, and honor to God, and specifically in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the praise and honor that, that Jesus gets is the way he practically proclaims those who have been properly putting their faith in him and had a life that he caused and they submitted to his cause to remain consistent in the midst of adversity. And this is one of the big reasons why we as believers need to be consistent in the midst of our trials and stop uh, getting frustrated, stop going off the deep end because there's a bigger picture in mind and that bigger picture is not just present glory of God or Jesus Christ, but futuristic enjoyment and bliss with the Lord Jesus the Christ. And so he goes further and he says, he says, though you have not seen him, that is Jesus Christ, you love him. So right here, he's talking about, he's talking about the fact that they didn't see him in his incarnation. He says, so, 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 so he says, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him now, that is, him post his resurrection and see him. He said, you believe him. In other words, under that idea of, uh, under the idea of begin with the end in mind, the first thing he wanted us to understand is we got to endure to Christ's return. But the second thing under that point that he wants us to recognize is he wants us to have a comprehensive lifestyle of worship. Now, Peter is about to start teaching them the art of worship in difficulty. I'm glad, I'm glad Brother Shaw brought that stuff up early. It's a good segue. Because most believers don't know how to worship when difficult times come. And what Peter is about to do is he's about to show them that in every believer's soul, there are buttons and triggers in your soul that triggers and facilitates consistent worship. It's not the worship leader coming up before the church and saying, come on, come on, come on, everybody, get on your feet. Come on, come on, everybody. Hasn't he been good to you this week? Hasn't he blessed you this week? Hasn't he, is, hasn't he kept your family this week? Aren't you fine? No, that's, see, see, Peter doesn't do any of that. He doesn't pump and prime them. He says, no, there are ways in your own soul that you can pump and prime yourself. He about to let us know, fam. He see, he's, he see, in other words, David, when he talks about entering his courts with thanksgiving and praise, it was because David understood something that most believers don't understand is he understood the principle of not letting the congregation help you to worship, but come to the congregation ready for worship because worship was beyond congregational practice. And watch this right in the text. It's right in the text. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. In other words, he's saying, he's saying the force of your faith in him and your love based on you keeping his commandments is an aspect of worship. And you'll see it all the way through the text. You'll see it. What does it mean? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? Wow. So during, during a trial is not an excuse to take a break from the Christian faith. It's no excuse. 
It's no excuse. In other words, he says, even though you, have, you, you haven't seen him, and what did Jesus say to Thomas? Thomas was like, I'm telling y'all. He's all talking about he walking through walls or appearing in the room, eating. I mean, I, I ain't seen him. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember he died, but I tell you what, unless I see G, I'm telling you, these probably up in the room like, I got to see him, grill to grill. I got to be able to, boom, put my fingers in his wrist. I got to slap my finger up in his side. Yeah, like, hell, I got to feel something. All of a sudden, Peter says, or Jesus says, peace be under you. Judas like, I mean, Thomas like, whoa, Jesus, don't be, you know what I'm saying? You, Lord, you know, you just coming up in the room and carrying on. And, 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 it, and then Jesus began talking to him. And, he, and Jesus didn't even ask, did he believe? And he said, Come here, come here, Thomas. And he let him stick his fingers in his prints. Now, I would have went crazy. I don't know about you, but if the resurrected Jesus told me to touch exactly where he died, look, the thing that caused him to die for my sins, I, my, I'd have just, my skin would have just opened up and I'd have been just walking around in the spirit, just walking around. I'd have been lifting my mind up in that jump. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, dang, I got to touch his, 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 I mean, his side when they pierced him. He died for me. Blood came out for me. Covered. I mean, I'd have been tripping. Like, I'd have saw a star or something. You know, like people see Michael Jackson just go, oh, you know, if I would have touched, I'm just telling you, for me, that's a Michael Jackson moment for me. A Michael Jackson moment for me is touching the nail prints and touching where the spear went in. And so, and so my man, so my man, so my man Paul, I mean, my man Peter says, listen, y'all, even though you do not see him, you love him. Why? Because Peter, remember, Peter remembers a lot of the teachings of Jesus Christ as he's writing this letter. So you can see the background of the teachings that Jesus taught him that the spirit brought back to his remembrance as he was writing this book. And so Peter remembered, he said, when, 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 when Thomas touched him, he says, oh, Lord. My God. Now, he wasn't like, like most people try to say, oh, he wasn't saying that Jesus was God. He was just saying like we say, oh, Lord, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Some of y'all forgot about that. But, um, but he wasn't saying that. Some of y'all caught it. Old school hip hoppers. Anyway. Um, and, and so, and so, and so what, what happened was is he wasn't saying that it was a proclamation because in their culture, they didn't say, oh, my God. So we're reading Western philosophy and uh, slang practices into the text. And he says, oh, my Lord, my God. And he says, you believe because you touched me, huh? But he said, blessed are those who do not see, yet they believe. And so Peter is encouraging the believers while they're going through. He says, though you do not see him, you love him. In other words, you don't know the blessing of what it looks like to not have seen Jesus physically, but still have a posture as if you physically seen him. Oh, y'all not talking to me today. Um, it, 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 in, other, in other words, check it out, check it out, y'all. Check it out, check it out, check it out. He's not saying, he's not saying that just because you don't see him, he's not there. That's not what he said. He said you don't see him. But he's, but he's not saying that just because you don't see him doesn't mean that he's not with you. Because I believe Peter remembered. Lo, I will be with you what? Until the... Wow, until the end of the age. That's key. 
That's key. That meant that Jesus' presence among his people outlived the New Testament. He's with us right now. You don't have to call Jesus and the Holy Spirit into the room. In other words, come in this place, Father. Fall in it. No, he's already here. In you and with you. That, that may not be enough for you right now. But, but, but he's in. I remember one time, you know, I used to, I, I was one of them dudes. I was real passive when I was growing up. I'm, let me see if I can make it plain for y'all. I was real passive when I was growing up. And this dude named Peppy. Peppy used to stutter, but Peppy could hit hard. And I was one of those dudes that you had to really, like I used to get bullied a lot. And so you really had to tee off on me. And I would, my eyes would roll back in the back of my head. And I'd start, sh- my eyes would start shaking. And I'd just start, you know, go crazy, right? But this dude was just, just beating on me. And um, I'm standing there in the night and I was, about to, I was about to lose it. I was about to lose it. He was just hitting me. Then all of a sudden, see, we lived in row houses in D.C. So all of a sudden, the dude just gets scared because he think I'm about to go on a berserker trip. You know what I'm saying? So he starts climbing over banisters, going to his house, going house to house. Now, y'all know row houses where the porches are connected. You got to jump over the banister. So he's going Olympic trial, you know, doing like this, you know, running. And I said, yeah, man. Then I hand was on my shoulder and I looked behind me and it was my daddy and I thought he was running because of me but he wasn't running because of me he was running because of who was with me and see if you understand that just because you don't see that Jesus is with you he is with you oh somebody better hear me because he will invisibly call off some stuff off of your life and you won't realize it wasn't your prayers it wasn't how good you can teach it wasn't how good you can walk with him it wasn't how many people you shared your faith with it was all because he's with you yeah the presence of Jesus in your life can get more done than you just by the mere fact that he's there oh I like him being around y'all you know what I'm saying I'm glad he ain't got to knock on the door of my heart to come in. I want him to already be with me. And so Peter focuses them in on the presence of God as a motivation for not just worshiping when you get with God's people, but have a lifestyle of worship before you get with God's people. Now, as we go in, I'm going to explain to you what worship is. Worship is an identification card. Worship is our idea as believers. Everyone worships someone, something, or someplace. And everything you worship, you will bear the marks of being identified with it. Now, the thing that makes a believer a worshiper, that's why it's very important when we finally do the practical, uh, one practical aspect of worship, which is the musical portion is that it's laced with things that God actually is like and what he says about himself. Because if it's not laced with it, you're not talking about him, but you're talking about someone else. So you went from proper worship to idol worship. 
So worship is the idea card by which we identify with God. Now I'm explaining here and I want you to hear. When Abraham, I always say this, when Abraham went into the land of Canaan for the first time, the first thing he did was he, he, he set up an altar. And the reason why he set up the altar is because there were so many people around in the land of Canaan worshiping other gods that he set up an altar. And the Bible says, and he called upon the name of who? The Lord. Why would you set up an altar, then call on the name of the Lord? Because why? Everybody builds altars. But the issue is you got to put the ID out on which altar this is to. And so for a believer, for us, worship is our practical identification with the living God. Now, you are a worshiper by nature, uh, John chapter 4. So Peter is calling out of them. Not just to worship in the worship gathering or in the small group or when we're in prayer, but he wants them to have a lifestyle that's marked by worship. And specifically, he wants us to worship him consistently in the context of when we're going through our hardest times in life. And so what he does is he goes and he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Then he says, though you do not see him, you believe in him. These are wonderful compliments. These are, one, these are wonderful compliments. In other words, he's, he's showing what it practically looks like when you have your faith refined. When you have your faith refined, see, perseverance by definition means consistency in the midst of adversity. But the question is, what is the thing that we're supposed to be consistent with in the midst of adversity? Number one, he says love. He says we're supposed to love him. Keep his commandments, not use it as an opportunity to say, Lord, this trial gives me the opportunity to fall back into my former sins and start wigging out. So he's he's complimenting them. He said, y'all haven't wigged out. Then he says, you continue believing in him. In other words, you don't begin. They didn't begin questioning who God was and what God was like. They didn't start saying, I don't know about Christianity because if God was good, he wouldn't let all of this happen to me. And I'm like, well, why was he God in your life when everything was going good? And you didn't question. You didn't question. God can't be God because stuff is just too good. Like, it's too good. I think I'm going to walk away from the Christian faith since things are just going too good. Nah. When you're a true believer and you're tested, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And the Bible says, let endurance have its perfect work in you. The key word is let. In other words, you got to begin based on James 1. You got, you got, if you're, if you're allowing, in other words, you build up a tolerance level. When I haven't been in the gym for a while and I get back in, I feel weighed down. When I go into the gym, I'm like, dang. I put the, put the dumbbells on there. They feel all heavy. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, dang. You know, and this is a little bit of weight because I know I ain't got, I, my stuff ain't right. So I got to put the little clips on the side because I know, you know, usually I can just, wada, wada, wada. but this time, and it won't fall off. But I'll be all up on there going like this and the thing going. I remember one time I was embarrassed. In a big gym, about 30 people was in there at the same time. The thing went, bloom, 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 bloom. You know, uh, service workers running over to your boy. You all right? 
you know, get, grabbing the ball from me. It was, I mean, it was loud too. It's clean, clean. Everybody stopped. People were, you know, ladies were doing their, ladies were doing their lunges. And they was like, unbelievers wanted to pray for me, carrying on. Let's pray for him. Let's pray for him. You know what I'm saying? But when I get right back up in that thing, I'm struggling because I've stopped allowing my muscles to be torn and rebuilt. And so I have to start all over again where I was, but I would have been further along with more muscle growth and the ability to lift more if I would have just remained consistent and went to the gym even though I didn't feel like going to the gym. See, many of you need to learn how to do that. You need to get in the spiritual gym regularly. You need to not allow difficulty in your life to stop you, listen, to stop you from being consistent in lifting. In other words, the, the testing of your faith produces endurance. In other words, God is preparing you to spiritually lift more. If you don't see it from that standpoint, you're going to be frustrated. That's why you keep going through trials and you keep having a hard time because you won't just stay your behind consistent. And God is not going to let your inconsistently, inconsistency stop him from bringing trials your way. And so what has to happen is, is God wants more glory out of your life. And because he wants more glory out of your life, he's going to continue to add the dumbbells on your spirit. <laughs> And so we got to be willing to continue to believe in him and belief shows itself in fruit. Now, check out, check out what, what he begins to talk about, about worship here. It's powerful. He says, he adds on that. He says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. I like that. He said, you begin to rejoice with joy. This word for rejoice is an interesting word. It's interesting that he didn't just say just rejoice. He told them that trials, when you're being consistent in loving him and believing him, causes you to rejoice, but not just rejoice for your rejoicing to have joy in the rejoicing. Ah, uh, let's chop it up. This word for rejoice is uh, it's often spoken of rejoicing with song and dance. It's, it means open expressiveness of one's allegiance to Christ without inhibition willfully. It po it's pointing to the current circumstances that people of God in Asia Minor are going through. And he is stating that he does not want their present trials to paralyze their praise and worship. He says, when you worship, now he's talking about every area of your life worships, but he does talk about the fact that there needs to be some praise and worship. The sense of this word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament of an open ballistic worship. Ballistic expressiveness beyond what you say your wiring is. In other words, some of us say, well, I, I'm a meditative worshiper. So, so the way I work, the way I work is I don't do all that. 
Peter, Peter doesn't say, well, those of you who are high I, um, those of you who are low S, um, you worship like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know you're a high D, so you're usually going to be like that. You I guys are going to be a little bit different. So this is the way I's rejoice. This is the way D's rejoice. This is the way S rejoice. And this is the way C's rejoice. No, he blanketly talks to everybody, no matter their wiring, gifting, social circumstance, or where they are in life, and says every believer must have expressive worship. That means sometimes you ought to lift your hands. I know you're not going to like where I'm about to go with this. But sometimes you, you need to be weeping openly about the thought of the fact that God chose your behind. All, all, all you got to do is remember a couple of things and your hands will get real. I, I, I remember a girl was handicapped and she said, if my arm wasn't broken, I'd be chicken winging to the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just trying to tell you if you know, I mean, if, if, if everybody, no matter how quiet you are, how extroverted, no matter where you are on, on the Miles Briggs type discriminate, all of that stuff. Listen, it does not matter. There is a demand, white, black. Asian, Latino, inner city, outer city, ex-urban, urban, suburban. I don't care who you are in your life. God demands expressive worship. Yeah. But it has to be not just when everything's okay. Because the context is hell is breaking loose. How many of you have to make a decision? You ever been somewhere, you've been, you've been struggling, and, you, and, and your feet felt like they were 500 pounds, but you just say, Lord, if I just get to the house of the Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I want to start praising you now in the car, but I'm hurt. I just need some help from the body, and you're just walking up those steps, and you've been hurting all week. You've been bleeding all week. You've been busted all week, but you just said, Lord, I want to express myself, like David said, in the midst of the congregation. Remember, worship is openly expressive in identification. If worship is identification with God and you're meditating, you're not properly showing off the glory of Christ through worship because ID is something you got to pull out every now and then. <laughs> when you going to pull out your ID card, fam? The government, look, I dare you when the, when the, when the cops pull you over. Cop pull you over to my, I mean, I ain't got no ID card. I mean, I'm just driving. <laughs> He's going to be like, yo, this is wild. Yo, man, we need some backup. We, this person is tripping. And um, they're probably going to wig out on this because they just told me they weren't going to get ID. So bring a couple of units in here so we can beat the snot out of them real quick. Pull out your ID card every now and then. But listen to what he says, though. He doesn't just say, see, because some people, you like to do that without any definition. In other words, you're just running, just running all around. Hey, hey, why? Hey, hey, hey. That's why, y'all crazy. That's why he said, that's why he says you got to rejoice with joy. Joy describes the nature of your rejoicing. 
Now, in order to understand the joy that describes your rejoicing, we got to describe the joy so we can understand what the rejoicing looks like. With joy, this is what it says. Peter says, with joy so that they can know where the motivation comes from to see beyond now and act like it's already later. Oh, man. See, joy is the anchor of the soul that always brings to mind the hope of glory. Joy helps you to see where you're not even though you're not there now. Joy helps you to see where you're going to be even though you haven't gotten there yet. Joy helps you it's kind of like the anchor of the, it's kind of like the bottom of the boat. My, my, my father and used to always talk about boats have more underwater than on top of water. And the reason why boats have more on underwater than on top of the water, because when the storms, the storms start shaking up the boat, the boat doesn't turn over because what's underwater weighs it down so that it won't turn over, but it'll just rock in the storm. It'll just move back and forth. Storms come going over waves like this. But everything, because of the weightiness of what's under the water, keeps the boat afloat. Joy is that very thing that keeps you afloat when challenges come your way. And it gives you the ability to remain consistent in the midst of adversities. Come here, palm trees. Palm trees are some cool worshipers. Because when the houses, every time I look at a storm, houses are turning over. Cars are flipping, the, 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 the reporter's clothes going like, I mean, wind just in his face, and he's like, yeah, we're in the storm, and um, we're try- whoa, we're trying to stay here, and, 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 and everything's going crazy around the reporter. But when you look behind the reporter, the palm trees just do like this, and they're just bending. Wind's going, and they go like this, and they're just going like this with the wind. And the wind's just blowing, and it's funny, they still remain rooted even though heavy winds are blowing. Oh, I wish you could hear me this morning, family. Joy is the thing that keeps you rooted when the winds are blowing. Yes, you are, you are, you, you, in other words, the bending of the palm trees, I believe, because everything worships God, I believe the palm trees are just bending over before God, just worshiping. Say, thank you for the way you made me, God. You made me with this bamboo-ness on me, you know what I'm saying? When the wind blows, I just bend, but I'm still rooted. Some of you need to say that. Lord, I'm going to bend not because of the trial, but because you've kept me rooted in the midst of this trial and the joy that you've given me, the joy that you've given me, the world didn't give it and the world didn't take it away. And I'm asking somebody today, have you ever been in a struggle where you need to focus on the fact that everything's not all right, but me and my God are all right? And because me and my God are all right, through Jesus Christ, I'm going to remain rooted, steadfast, and abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that I am not worshiping him in vain. Somebody, Listen, it is extremely important for you that you learn this principle as an ID card. This is your ID card, fam. So you better start flashing it. Get it out your wallet. Get some see-through plastic over top of your card because you're going to have to pull it out during the times that you're going through the worst. And so Peter is encouraging them, don't let difficulty stop you from identifying with Jesus Christ. (laughs) He said, don't let it. Some of you say, I ain't gone through nothing hard enough yet. Like my grandmama used to say, keep on living, baby. Keep on living. 
It'll come your way in a minute. And so Peter, I'm loving the way Peter is encouraging them to, that their rejoicing isn't just ballistic, aimless, non-informative worship. But their rejoicing is based on a joy of the consistency, based on the part of the fruit of the spirit that notifies us that life beyond this trial is going to be better. So he tells them to rejoice. He tells them to rejoice with joy. Not only does he tell them to rejoice with joy, but he tells them in, 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 in the verse, he says, though you do, he says, he says with joy. And he says, this is the, what the joy needs to be inexpressible filled with joy. I was trying to, most, most, of the, most of the commentaries and, and vines and all of them, you know, lexicons and Kittle and all of these joints, they had a hard time translating this word. They was like, we don't really know how to translate it, but they said the best thing that we could come up with is unspeakable. They said unspeakable or, or, or one said knowledgeable ignorance. And I meditated on that for the whole week. Knowledgeable ignorance. And then as I began to meditate on it, I said, I think I got it. Knowledgeable ignorance. <laughs> Our God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He's eternally everything that he is in all directions. However, God allows us to get to know him partially. And so, but, but, but there are, even though you've experienced the love of God, you couldn't survive looking at all of his love at one time. Even though you've experienced the grace of God, you can't survive staring into his grace, all of it. Matter of fact, your eyes don't even have the setup based on, on your optic nerve. To, you would have to be omniscient to see all of his grace. You have to, in order to see all of who God is, you have to know as much as God knows so that you can have the spiritual eyeballs enough to set your eyes on all of it. <laughs> what he says is, this joy is unexpressible. He's basically saying, there's part of your worship that's going to come based on what you do know, but there's part of your worship that when you ever been in worship to the Lord with the people of God and you've just been excited, but your knowledge of what's being portrayed in your mind based on your understanding of the scriptures hit, hit, hit kind of like a trap door where you like, I can't even know beyond this point what I'm being expressed about God at this point. But even though I can't see all of it based on what I saw just a little bit of, I'm going to express it even though the worship that I'm doing still, still pales in comparison to how big that attribute is that I'm worshiping him for. So he says this is inexpressible worship. It's, it's worship that has limitations. In other words, I believe if Peter was here today, he would say, I believe MCs aren't articulate enough. I don't believe songwriters are articulate enough. I don't believe playwriters are articulate enough. I don't believe the media, those who have technological gifts, teaching gifts and preaching gifts, are, are, are gifted and, 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 and expressive enough to fully convey who God is. And so when he says joy that's inexpressible, he said, he said, he said it's a sense like the spirit is letting you experience the beauty of the joy of the fact that you're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But some of the, some of the ways that you're feeling about God even goes beyond rejoicing openly to you just being just tore down. 
Just absolute, I mean, it's, I can't even express. Sometimes when I get in worship and I'm just in here just with y'all, just worshiping, I, like, I, want, I, don't, I don't even know a new expression to do to express what I want to express. That's, what, that's called inexpressible worship. It gets to a point where you're limited in how you even want to express your thanksgiving to God for what he's doing in your life. Inexpressible worship. <laughs> so he says, he says, this joy is inexpressible, but then he gives it another qualifier. He says, but it's filled with joy. I mean, glory, filled with glory. That's a key word. He's saying it's filled with glory. In other words, all of our life is filled with glory. What does filled mean? Well, most people, when they think of filled in the New Testament, they think of a cup of water, glass half empty, glass half full type stuff. That's not what the word filled in the New Testament, unless they're filling, like when Jesus um, was filling, having the cats fill those tubs with water so that he could turn them into wine. That's filling. But when it's talking about the filling of the spirit or being filled with anger, like the spirit isn't like water, like that you pour into something and he fills you up. And because, you know, we need more of him, he, that's not what it's talking about. It's the, the sense of filled in the New Testament means to be under the control of something. To be under the control of something. To be filled with the Spirit means to be, to be under the Spirit's control. Well, the same is true here when it says that we are, that our joy is inexpressible and filled with glory. So our worship, our lifestyles of worship are controlled by the glory of God. That means every single area of your life must be under the control of showing God off. In other words, the ID card that you pull out, everything in your life must reflect who he is and it must be under the, everything that you think about, everything that you must, everything that you do in life. And remember, let's remind ourselves, they're in a trial. He says, you, he said, everything that you do in your life is always filled with the glory of God or under the God's glorious control by us submitting to it. But it's even more so when we're going through a challenging time that we must understand that our lives are filled, must be filled with the glory of God during difficult times so we can see the good, the, the, the um, big picture. That's why God's refinement of us will one day end. Look what he says. I'm probably going to stop here. This is, we're about halfway through, so I'm going to stop here. He says, in verse 9, he said, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's powerful. So he's still talking about the, refined, the, the believer's faith being on a kettle, being heated up, and God pulling the dross off of it. In other words, he says, your life is going to be consistently in that. But he wants them to not look at what their faith is going through. He wants them to look out, where they, we'll look out for where their faith is going to. And so he says, receiving the outcome. In other words, this is the natural outcoming of an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me? So he's saying receiving that. So he's pointing to two things. He's pointing to sanctification and glorification. Sanctification and glorification. Now, there's several types of sanctification, but here he's talking about progressive sanctification. 
And he's talking about the fact that the believer's progressive sanctification in, in spiritual growth. In other words, God ushering us in progressive sanctification is ushering us from spiritual what? To spiritual what? Spiritual what? To what? Amen. And so this ushering process takes your entire lifetime, but your entire lifetime is still not enough time to bring forth all of the attributes of the image of Christ. So all of us either have to die or be transformed. So what he's saying is, is I don't want you to get bogged down in your trials because the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Well, when you see the word salvation in the New Testament, it doesn't always mean getting saved. We're in three phases of life. If you trusted Jesus Christ in the past, you have been saved. If you are continuing to trust in Jesus Christ, which true faith does, it, you are being saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. You are being saved. But then there is a sense that we're not as saved as we're going to be. I, somebody, I, see, that should, that's you should have been rejoicing with joy right there. Because listen, you're not as saved as you're going to be. Ain't you glad about that? You're not as saved as you're going to be because you will be saved. So you have been saved. You're being saved. And you will be saved. Justification sanctification, glorification. And so what he's telling us is, I want you to remember the fact that you will never have to go through anything again because God is going to catch you up to where you need to be spiritually one day, either through death or his return. And so he wants us as believers to always have a dichotomy in mind, fam. We can't stick our faces in the ground during difficulty like this ostrich. Many of us, this is the first thing we do when, when, when a challenge comes to our life is we dive under. Like the ostrich still can get his behind tore up. Just, I mean, neck cut off, legs cut off, plucked. I mean, all types of stuff can happen. So sticking your head under the ground doesn't solve your current crisis. But keeping your head above ground and keeping your mind on things above and allowing the word of God and the people of God and the spirit of God to saturate you with pictures that this is not all that life is going to be for the believer. That's why it's important to remember that you have been saved, that you're being saved, and that you will be saved. You have been justified, you are being sanctified, but you will be glorified. Glorification is the fulfillment of us being fully chiseled into the image of Jesus Christ for eternity. In other words, although we're going to learn because we're not going to be omniscient, there is no more chiseling to be done. Did you get that? One day... Your faith will never have to be refined. Never. Never. You'll never have to hope again. Because you'll live, you'll live in the reality of what you've been hoping for. <laughs> in other words, we call it in America a dream come true. Now, I know a lot of people say that on a minute level, but I'm just telling you. 
you can't imagine what it's like to walk past Jesus on a daily basis. I mean, I know y'all ain't rocked by that. Like everybody bowing down, worshiping Jesus up there, just, you know, you know, you know, joint cock like that, standing there. Glory, his glory filling the entire planet. His robe fills the temple of planet Earth. And everywhere you walk is holy ground. You never get the people in Alaska don't have to worry about six months of darkness anymore. Oh, I wish y'all could get with me. When daylight savings time start happening in a few weeks, everybody around three o'clock in the afternoon going to start getting depressed. No more rainy days, a week of rain where you just get depressed and you want to sleep all week. You won't need rest anymore. You won't need to eat energy bars, drink coffee, take ginseng anymore. You won't need to exercise anymore. Uh, oh, I, I, I know y'all don't like that. You won't never have to get your head did no more, girls. Fellas, you never have to get a shape up again. You will never have to use the bathroom again. You will never have to wash again. You'll never have to cut your toenails and your fingernails ever again. You'll never have to use a Q-tip to clean out your ears ever again. Your eyelashes will never fall on your eyeballs. You have to open it up real big, have somebody blow it out ever again. You'll never have to floss, brush your teeth, go to the dentist, get a check up ever again. You'll never have to change clothes ever again. You'll never have to shave your underarms again. You'll never, ladies, have to shave your legs ever again. You'll never have to worry about your arm getting broken, your spirit getting broken, your heart getting broken, nobody playing with your feelings no more, nobody frustrating you because you will receive the outcome of your faith. So, Lord, we holler at you now. Maranatha, Jesus. Maranatha, Jesus. Maranatha, Jesus. Maranatha, Jesus. Maranatha, Jesus. Nothing in your life will ever have to be upgraded again. So, what does that do for us now? Stand firm. Stand firm. Hold on. If you're in it now, hold on for a little while longer, y'all. Hold on. I'm just telling you, you're, it's not yet revealed what you're going to be like. The Bible just says, all I know, the, the writers that were under inspiration of the Holy Spirit were limited with the human language to describe what the glorified what believer was going to look like. And he just says, all I know is we're going to be like him. So if you look at him, you know what you're going to be like. So that means you got to look at Jesus because that's staring in the mirror. And so I pray. I, I, I just, I, oh man, I just, pr- oh God, I pray. I pray that you don't let the difficult times that you go through fool you that this is all that it is. I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping. Because if you're in Christ, you have been saved. You're being saved. And what else going to happen? Yeah, Father, we thank you today. That this isn't all it is. And we don't want to allow God the challenges of this life 
to mask eternity from us. We want to see the big picture, God. Help us to see the big picture. Oh, God, help us to see the big picture. Somebody's jobless right now. Help them to see the big picture. Somebody's sick today. Help them to see the big picture. Somebody's been through a bad relationship. Lord, help them to see the big picture. Lord God, someone is struggling with relationships with friends, struggling on whatever. Help them to see the big picture. Believers that are getting persecuted in the 1040 window, beheaded, boiled in oil, wrapped with tires and burned from the bottom up. Help us see the big picture. Women having miscarriages, difficult pregnancies. Help them to see the big picture. Loneliness. The sense of loneliness. Help us to see Jesus. The big picture. Help nothing to eclipse what you look like so that we'll never lose hope but that our rejoicing will be filled with joy. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.